I got a little thing up here that I need y'all to help identify. I, I, I want to start with this. Uh, anybody know what this is? It is not a popsicle stick. I didn't realize how small it was till I took it out. They used to be a, a little bit wider. Tongue depressor. And you would think that's the right term, but Krista was in the first service, and she knows that this is actually called, the, the, the technical term is a tongue blade. Now you know. Aren't you thankful that you know? Now, why does, why does the doctor use the tongue blade when you're in his or her office? To keep your finger out of, yeah, to keep their finger out of your mouth. That's one thing. What does he do? Stick out your tongue and say, ah, right? So you stick that in there. They stick that in there. And it's, it's, to, it's to probe what's going on in your mouth. Now, I didn't know all of this stuff, so I actually Googled it because the answer to every question in life is on Google, right? So I Googled, why do they stick that in there? And that, why do they say, stick out your tongue and say, ah? Oh. And an ear, nose, throat specialist actually said this. I'm quoting him. He says, without even asking, I can tell if a patient is well hydrated, a smoker, a dipper, a tobacco user, uses a retainer, has an autoimmune disease. And then he said, and that's just the beginning of the list of things I can tell by looking at your mouth, specifically at your tongue and your throat. And I got to thinking about this. I said, wow, there's so many things you can tell about someone's body through their mouth. And then I thought, that so corresponds with the spiritual life. Because if you want to know what someone, what's in someone's heart, all you got to do is look in their mouth. Listen to their tongue. Listen to what they say. According to Scripture, this is Janie's cup. has a little heart. According to Scripture, if you want to know what's in someone's heart, all you have to do is listen to what they say. Because, because... When stress hits them, if somebody bumps into you, if I have coffee in this cup and somebody bumps into me, what's going to spill out of that cup? Coffee, thank you. It's not going to be soda. It's not going to be hot chocolate if I have coffee in here. And when someone bumps under you, into you, when you are under stress, what spills out of your heart is what, what spills out of here. What comes out of here is a representation of everything. You can't spill out words that aren't in your heart. You spill out exactly what's in your heart. And this is not my word. This actually comes from the scripture. This is Jesus Christ. And he says this in Matthew 12, 34, the Berean study Bible. And I don't usually use that. That's why I gave you the whole term, the Berean study Bible. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says, whatever's in here is going to come out. You can pretend to have certain things in here, good things in here. But when you are bumped into what comes out of this is what's in here. You can't make it up. That means we don't accidentally say things to hurt people. We, it's in our heart. That means that we don't say good things to build them up accidentally. It's what's in our heart. And I'm not saying we don't stumble over our words. How many times have I stumbled over words up here and y'all all laugh and we get a good laugh? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean you don't accidentally encourage people. You don't accidentally rip people apart with your words. It comes from your heart. It's in your heart first and then it spills out. Now, there are good things that can come out of your heart, and I'm going to give you a couple examples of that. First is, there are wise words, and wise words in the Scripture, in, in, in Proverbs, God, uh, God has just been hammering me with Proverbs for the last several months. And so, in Proverbs, it says that your wise words are compared to gold and silver. What's in your heart, those words that come out can be just like gold and silver to someone else. Here's what it says in, in Proverbs um, 10, 10.20. The words of the godly, let me stop right there and, and notice that it's a lowercase g. 
you and I are not godly with an uppercase G, with a, with a capital G, because that is reserved for God himself. When I am godly, lowercase g, it means that I am reflecting to you what I see in my heavenly Father. And that's what makes me godly. Not anything I do, it's how close I am to him. It's how, how much I'm reflecting to him. That's what makes me godly. So you and I will never be capital G godly. We can be a reflection of the God who's in heaven. Now it says... The words of the godly, those who are reflecting God to others, are like sterling silver, the heart of a fool. The heart of a fool is worthless. Now, some of you are, are OCD, and you're going to say, you said gold and silver. Okay, write down this reference, Proverbs 25, 11. I knew this was coming, so I threw this in here. It's not, I don't think I put this one on the screen. It says, as apples of gold in settings of silver, so is a good word given at the right time. There you go, shut up. Wait, that just came out. Sorry. That came out. That was in there because I was bitter. I knew some of you would write notes to me on the back of the card. Use it. Anyway, not that that's ever happened before. Um, what, the wise words are like refreshing water. If you've ever been with us to Haiti, we do not get cold things very often. When you're up at, uh, like at Mariani working, uh, when you're at, at Jacmel working, we get room temperature water. Room temperature in Haiti is hot. And so you're drinking water. It's not real refreshing, but you have to hydrate or you never go to the bathroom and you have to go to the bathroom because we talk about those things on mission trips because you have to. If you don't go to the bathroom, you go in the hospital. We want you to go to the bathroom, not the hospital. In Belize, Pastora's house has a freezer and they put our water in the freezer at night. And so when they pour out water, you drink it and it just goes, whoosh. It is so, I'm telling you, there is nothing like refreshing water when you've been working hard. Here's what the scripture says. The words of the godly, those who reflect Christ, lowercase g, are a life-giving fountain. Wise words are like nourishing, health-giving food. Look what it says in Proverbs 15, 4. Gentle words are a tree of life. Now, the tree of life means going back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God created a tree of life. Now, he closed the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned. And now the only place you see it is in Revelation when it talks about the tree of life is in heaven. So when I give gentle words, when I give wise words to you, it's like a tree of life. It means that I'm reconstructing you in it, like God originally created you so it's like going back to paradise or looking forward to paradise when we will all be perfect and look like him when i give gentle wise words it's like a tree of life i'm building you up but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit how many of you have been crushed by someone's words i think that's all of us so here's what solomon said about words in ecclesiastes 5 2 he says, do not be quick with your mouth. Anyone ever been quick with their mouth? Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Where is God? He's everywhere. He's in heaven on his throne. We're about to read that. But he's everywhere. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven on his throne. You're on earth. Look at this. Look at this. Here it is. So let your words be what? Few. Remember that. We're going to come back to that over. Let your words be few. Jesus' half-brother, <clears throat> James, said this in James chapter 3. Likewise, and so he's talking about some other small things that have incredibly destructive power. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself on, set on fire by hell. Did, did James have anything really good to say about the tongue? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. How many human beings can tame the tongue? None. That means it's a God thing. It means if you want to be God-like, lowercase g, you have to give your tongue to the Lord. You have to let him control you. James goes on, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We should not ever come in here and praise and glorify and honor God and at the same breath turn and curse someone with our words who's sitting next to us. Should not happen. Bible puts a great deal of emphasis on this little thing called the tongue. And so today I want to talk to you specifically about how our words can become weapons. First one, words become weapons when we lie. When we lie. And I don't have to tell y'all that, that we shouldn't lie, should I? Do I have to tell y'all that? Yeah? Okay, I told you. <clears throat> look, what it's, look what the Bible says about lying. The Lord detests this word is a word that means it makes him sick to his stomach like when you're about to vomit. What makes God vomit? The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. See, the reason it's such a big deal to God is because it destroys our relationship with him. He cannot have fellowship with a liar. But secondly, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love God. Second commandment is like it, love people. When you lie, it destroys your relationship with God. He cannot fellowship with a liar, and it destroys your relationship with other people. The two highest commands, it destroys it. God detests it, makes him want to vomit when we lie. And every week, you and I, you come across it, but I'm telling you, I hear it all the time because of my position. People come in, and their lives have been destroyed by someone else's lies. She promised she would be faithful. He promised he would never drink again. I gave money to that contractor before he finished the job. He said he would finish the job. They promised and they didn't and their lives were destroyed. We hear it all the time. It wasn't, I said this, you heard that, which is the Bible said we just finished. It was, you said this, but you did that. It doesn't match up and now you have destroyed my life because of your lies. And look what Proverbs says about that. Proverbs 25, 18, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow, have, have someone's words ever felt like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow? Is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. Okay, so Solomon's talking about false testimony. All right, I want to do a pop quiz, right? How many of you love it when your teacher says pop quiz? I was a last-minute guy, so if they said read the chapter, you're going to have a test on Friday. I'm going to read it sometime between midnight and 6 a.m. on Friday morning so that I could... That was just who I was when I was in college. But if, they, if I ever walked in and they said, pop quiz, and I'm like, oh, dear God, help me remember things I never studied, right? You know, that, was, that was my prayer. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you a pop, pop quiz. Which commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me? First, okay, we win. Ding, 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 ding. First service, I ask it a little differently. They flunked, you know, 0 for 3. All right. Second question. All right, we got one right. Second question. Where are the Ten Commandments found? Somebody said Exodus. They weren't sure. Exodus? Yes, but ex there's a lot of chapters in Exodus. Exodus what? Nah. Exodus 20. One for two. We are now 50%. Third pop quiz. What number commandment is 
Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Where did you know that? Mary saved y'all. We got a 66, which is a D. Nobody in the first service knew this, right? And, and honestly, I didn't know it either. I had to look it up. When I was looking at this, Solomon is saying that it's one of God's top 10. When we lie, when we bear false witness, it's in the top 10 because it destroys lives. Why? Well, when words can't be trusted, then, then marriage vows are meaningless. Contracts are meaningless. Um, government promises are meaningless. Judicial systems fall apart. Let me see your tongue and I'll know what's in here because your tongue is connected to your heart. But the Bible says your tongue is also connected to your ears. Look what it says in Proverbs 17.4. A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to destructive tongue. Here's the basic rule of life. Put that up there, Michael, please. The ears hear what the heart loves. If somebody comes and whispers to you something and you love that person, you're going to reject that until you talk to that person. But if you like listening to gossip and you like listening to lies... You're going to believe that and you're going to spread it to others because your heart, your tongue, your ears, they're all connected. Birds of a feather flock together. Those people who like to lie, those people who, who, who like to hurt other people, they like to hang out together. Beware of people who have an appetite for lies and don't hang out with them because you become like the people you hang out with. Second way our words become weapons is we gossip. A gossip is a person who talks about but refuses to talk to the person. Um, In Scripture, what does the Bible say? Does it say you're supposed to talk to other people? If you have a problem with someone, does it say you're supposed to text? Get on Facebook. What does it say? You're supposed to go to them face to face. Look what this proverb says, Proverbs eleven thirteen, and I use the New King James Version because I love this second word. A talebearer reveals secrets. Talebearer actually comes from the Greek word, which means to go about. It's talking about it, a traveling salesman who knocks on the door. Y'all remember when, when people used to knock on your door and try to sell you something? Chad Arnold said, Kirby salesman. You know, when the Kirby salesman used to show up at your door, you want to need a vacuum cleaner? No, get out of here. A talebearer is one who's traveling around selling something, looking for someone to buy their wares. And what are they looking to sell? Secrets, gossip. But, if, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Gossips love eating. They enjoy gossip like you and I like Thanksgiving meals. They love to eat it. They love to consume it. And, they, and it becomes so that that's all they desire. And the only hope for a gossip is to develop a heart for God's word, which is truth. And here's what Proverbs 26, 20 says. Where there is no wood, wood is fuel. The fire goes out. Makes sense, right? Janie loves fires, right? So we had this fireplace in our house. <clears throat> she loved it. But back when we were dating, I had a little... Um, had a wood-burning stove, and she's always cold-natured, so she would love it when I would light that up. And when we had this house here in, in Palestine, we used to put wood in the fireplace, but I hate the smell of smoke. Actually, you know, it, it causes my allergies to act up and just can't stand it. And so for years, we'd make a fire because Janie likes fires. She, it makes her heart go pitter-pat, and she likes to snuggle, and she'd go, oh, you made a warm, cozy fire, you know, and that meant come over here and snuggle, right? 
So eventually, I bought her a, um, a gas insert, a propane insert, you know, the fake logs, because they don't smell. And I was like, yes, because it gets the same effect. I like the fire, and Janie would go, oh, a cozy fire, and that means come over here and snuggle. And I'm like, yeah. Well, the other day, I did this. I lit the fire, and she comes in. She says, oh, a warm, cozy fire. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And she goes in the other room, and about that time, the, the flames start going, what happened? Ran out of propane. The fuel went out. The fire went out. <laughs> so did my luck. <clears throat> where the wood, where there is no wood. Sorry, she's in here. I'm in trouble now. Um, I used to tell people when she would be in the back and I would tell something like that, I'd say, don't look Janie in the eye because she can't stand it. And so people would come back and they'd go, we're not looking you in the eye. She goes, what did he say? Where there is no wood, fuel, a fire goes out. But check this out. Where there is no tail bearer, where there is no traveling salesman, strife ceases. You find strife, you find division in a church, you will find a tail bearer knocking on doors. Hey, did you hear about that pastor? Did you hear about John? Did you hear about Rachel? Did you hear about... There's someone who's peddling, who's knocking on doors, who's spreading strife. Guaranteed. Because the scripture says, you don't have a tail bearer, you got no fuel, you got no wood, strife ceases. Third way our words become weapons is when we flatter. Now, I'm not talking about genuine encouragement where somebody comes up and says, I love you and here's why and you're good at this. No, 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 no. I'm talking about flatter. Here's what I mean. The English word for flatter comes from a French word which means to rub someone on the flat of the back with the flat of your hand. So your, your flattery is like you're going, oh, you're such a good person. But all the time they're trying to find a soft spot to stick you with a knife. You ever had someone give you kind words and you acted on those words thinking, oh, well, they think this of me and then you find out they never thought that of you? That's a flatterer who said, this happened to me, not here, but, but in an organization. A guy said some really kind words to me and I went, wow, I, I didn't know he was paying attention, didn't know he knew who I was. And he said, I could use somebody like you. So I went and did something based on what he said. And when I got there, I felt like he was like, why are you here? He simply flattered me because of a position I held. And I believe it would just be a matter of time before he stabs me in the back. Because he did not mean those words. That's what a flatterer does. They compliment you profusely, appealing to your ego, but they don't mean it. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You see, it was flattery that caused Adam and Eve to sin. The serpent comes to Eve and flatters her and says, You can be like God if you'll just take this fruit and eat it. <laughs> Your enemy, the enemy of God, flatters you too. And the reason it works is because of our ego. We secretly love flattery, and we hate it when someone rebukes us. But the scripture says rebuke is for your good. Rebuke actually builds you up when it comes from someone who loves you. If they have a track record of loving you and they say something over here that's, hey man, I gotta tell you something that, that kind of hurts my heart, and you reject it, that says more about you than it says about them. My favorite um, commentator is Warren Wearsby. It's who I'm studying through the Bible with his commentary. Here's a quote I wrote down way back in the summer, and, and it just it came up this week when I was studying. 
How we accept and apply rebuke is a test of how devoted we are to truth and wisdom and how sincere we are in wanting to know God's will. If someone who has a track record of loving you says to you, hey, you need to consider this, and you reject it, that says that, that you don't want to know God's will. You don't want to grow up. The Dallas Cowboys don't need a coach to tell them they're good. They need a coach that tells them what's wrong and, and how, to, how to improve on that. And see, if it weren't for our pride, flattery would not work on us. But secretly, we enjoy hearing other people agree with what we think of ourselves. That's why flattery works. And the enemy knows it. Be careful. Words become weapons when we speak in anger. <coughs> Excuse me. When we speak in anger. Here's what it says in Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. See, angry people keep adding fuel to the fire. So, so the Bible says if, if you have a flame, but you've got no fuel for that flame, eventually what's going to happen to this lighter? It's going to run out. But an angry person is, they don't even care. If they're going to add gasoline to that. I am not doing that right now. I have learned. One time I was going to light a fire and I didn't, have any, I didn't have any diesel and I was too lazy to go get some diesel. And so I poured it on this. This was in our house and Janie's shaking her head. She already knows where I'm going. <clears throat> and I left it sitting for several seconds. And I went over and there's a big pile. And so I go over there and I put it in the middle. I thought I was being smart. And I lit that match and threw it down there and it went, whoa. And I go flying off its singed hair. You know, anyway, I had hair that, that was singed. That's what an angry person does is they're pouring fuel on this, trying to make it worse than it is. And so I, I was reading and I wrote down this quote and this guy is from a guy named Ambrose Bierce and he, was, he actually was alive during the Civil War. He was a soldier. Then he became a writer and he became known as this, this sat, satirical um, master. And he wrote a book that was considered one of the, the hundred top pieces of literature during that time and it was called... Um, the Devil's Dictionary. Here's what he said about angry people. He said, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. You ever done that? Now, I'm not saying you condone the sins of others. That's not what I'm saying. But neither do you spread that to others. Someone who loves you will conceal that for you. So, you, so we, our words become weapons when we speak in anger. Our words become weapons when we speak too soon. This is, this, gets all, this, is my, this is my soapbox right now in my life. Proverbs 29, 20 says this. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And then I added this one because this is one of my memory verses. Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. We've talked about this. How many sides there are to every story? You've got two people involved. There's at least three opinions. There's their opinion, and then there's God's. Don't speak too soon. Words become weapons when we speak too much. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The Bible just said the more you talk, the more opportunity you have to sin, so you maybe should consider not talking so much. Let's make this real practical. 
Let's say, and, and I know some of you far more than this, some of you far less than this, but just, just go with me on this. Let's say that you are an average person and you have 300 conversations in one week. Now, in the midst of those 300 conversations, there's at least a few times where you exaggerate, where you make someone else look worse than you should, you make yourself look better than you should, or you flat out lie, all right? Let's say you do that five times. Your liar prediction index, or LPI, would be 300 to 5. You with me? So, so if you have 300 conversations and you, you lie, make yourself look better, make someone else look worse, or, or you just exaggerate, five times in 300, your LPI is 300 to 5. Now let's say, if you're going to do what the Scripture says and you're going to speak less, let's say you're going to say, oh, I'm going I'm to stop at 200 conversations this week. If you do the math, and it is possible to do the math, some of you will, some of you will trust me, some of you go, I ain't doing trusting him, I'm going to do the math. If you only have 200 conversations and your LPI is 300 to, to, to 5, then your, your new one's going to be 200 to 3.3. You have cut down 1.7 lies. Woo! How many of you would be pleased if after Thanksgiving you lost 1.7 pounds this week? All right, so we should be excited. 200 conversations. Now, we shouldn't lie at all, but I'm just saying, you're, you're human and you're having issues. You've gone down to 3.3. Let's go further. If you only have 60 conversations this week, do the math, you're going to have one lie. Woo! What that means is if you want to cut out lying, exaggeration completely, making other people look worse than they should, yourself better than you should, you should only have 59 conversations this week. 59. I'm actually not making this up. It's what the scripture says. Talk less. You'll have less opportunity to sin with your mouth. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous, what's that next word? What's that next word? The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. My wife has taught me more about this than, than anybody else on the planet. She studies before she answers. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth. The NIV says gushes, and in my mind I see I see a fire hydrant that you take the cap off and the water comes out and it's just... <sighs> Y'all ever seen that? Scripture says, the mouth of the wicked gushes vomit. You ever seen projectile vomit? I'll use any image short of sin to help you remember the concepts of God. When's the last time you verbally projectile vomited on someone? Scripture calls that wicked. It's evil. So, at the end of the week, if we were to do a comparison of who is more godly, more, who is more the lowercase g that reflects the glory of God, is it going to be the studier, the one who studies their answers before they answer? Or is it going to be the verbal vomiting fire hydrant? Which one? The studier. Which one do you want to be? The studier. Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever derides his neighbor has how much sense? No sense. I told you before. Who knew my dad was quoting scripture when he said that boy got no sense? Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. I actually did. I used this verse when I was teaching some some praying pelican um, 
missionaries, summer missionaries, and, and I made them hold their tongue. One guy hadn't washed his hands, <laughs> so he wouldn't hold his tongue. I'm like, dude, put it in your shirt, whatever. But I said, how much verbal vomiting can you do when you're holding your tongue? Very little. Scripture says, hold it. Hold your tongue, and you'll sin less. Proverbs has just told us, you don't have to be involved in every conversation. You don't have to text back. About a year ago, Keith and I were in here. I don't even remember what was going on other than we were having to evict someone from a house that, that, that we uh, rent out. And um, the guy had just lied, and I was fed up with this. Because one of the things people find out that I'm a pastor and they try to take advantage of me. So I tell them before they move, and I'm like, okay, you need to understand, I'm a pastor, and I will treat you fair, and I'll do the things that I say, but, but this is not a ministry for me. This is a way to make money. Right? I'm, that scripture doesn't say I can't make money. I can be a fair businessman. But I'm, I, th- this isn't, I ain't paying your bills. Right? So this guy lied to me, lied to me. So we were about to uh, evict him. And he said some really trash-filled things to me on a text. So Keith was standing back there. And I started, <laughs> And I looked at it and I went, delete and then I kind of smirked and laughed Keith said what are you laughing at and I said dude I so should not send that text and he laughed and and so Keith is in an in in an industry where he gets lots of complaints the Wi-Fi industry he said I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to hit send but it but it wouldn't work it's just gonna put fuel on that fire so he didn't You don't have to participate in every comment that's on Facebook, every text. In fact, we're going to talk more about this in January when we go to the the Me and My Big Mouth series. God burned this in my mind. There are times when silence is the best answer. You don't have to answer. And in fact, Warren Wearsby said, when someone is insolent, that means they, they, they don't like you, they're just verbally vomiting on you. He said, most of the time, silence is the best response to insolence. So there's been times Janie's gotten a really mean text, and I say, don't you answer that. Or I get an email, and I'm just not even going to answer that. Because Scripture says I don't have to do that. Especially when it's, you go to the person is what Scripture says. You don't go to the keyboard. Words become weapons when we talk instead of work. Here's what Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. See, what, what I've discovered is there seems to be three types of people in our world, especially in America. There are dreamers, man, they got great ideas and absolutely zero follow-through. There are talkers, and man, they exercise their jaws. They got really strong jaws, and the rest of their body is, is you know, atrophied. There's no muscles anywhere because they flap their jaws all the time, but they never do jack. And they're, they're, just, they're the, the doers. See a problem? You do something about it. I've discovered there's exactly the same three types of people in every church I've been in. There are dreamers, oh, we got pie-in-the-sky ideas. No way to get there. And then there are all kinds of traveling salesmen knocking on doors, spreading gossip. Willingly, knowingly participating in what the Scripture calls as evil. And then there's the doers. They say, come hell or high water. I want to be found doing God's work when he returns 
Or if I die my last breath, I want to be doing what God has called me to do. Not what someone, not what some traveling tailbearer says I should do. So here's my prayer, and, and, and this is the verse I want to finish with. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. <laughs> God, you know I need some help. Keep watch over the door of my lips. People who don't prepare their hearts, they don't study how to answer, are saying to Satan, the devil, the enemy of God, use my mouth to reap, reap as much destruction as you can. But those studiers, those who hold their tongues, those who, who pray to God before they answer, oh, that stuff that comes out is life-giving. And it encourages you to be like God created you to be. Which one do you want to be? A life giver? Or one who sucks the life out of people? Thank you, buddy. So whatever's in here, that's going to come out when people bump into you. Now, if I spoke today, let me, let me just say this as we, as we finish. If I, as, as I spoke today, the Holy Spirit was just penetrating your heart saying, I have hurt people with my words. Here's what you do. The scripture is very clear. You confess that to God. No shame, no disrespect. God is your heavenly Father who loves you and he wants to forgive you. So you say to God, I messed up. And then if God puts it in your heart to go to somebody and, and be a life giver, you go to that person, you be a life giver and say, please forgive me. And anybody with an ounce of grace in their heart will say, oh my gosh, what you said to me is nothing. You should hear what I said to them. No, I understand and I forgive you and, and God will reconcile. He'll reconcile your relationship with him. He'll reconcile your relationship with someone else. And so... When you, when you honestly, humbly admit that to God, here's what, you're going to hear something like this, and, I, and I'm using a quote as if God is speaking to you. God will say, I know all about your sins. I know all about those exaggerations. I know all of those times that you made somebody else look worse and yourself make better. I know about all of your verbal vomiting. I was watching whenever you allowed something to come into your heart and become a bitter thing in your heart and I was watching as someone bumped into you and those words came out and they set the world on fire. God says, I was watching. I know, but I love you to infinity and beyond more. That's what I tell my girls. I don't know if I've ever told Caleb that. I love you to infinity and beyond more. There's nothing they can do that would make me love them less. And your heavenly Father says, I love you to infinity and beyond more. And I want to transform your heart so that you give life to people, not destroy them with your words. And he says, if you're willing to turn from your sin, if you're willing to say, Jesus, I need you to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of your life, not only will he wipe out the penalty for your sins, he's not going to wipe out the consequences, but he wipes out the penalty. And he says, I'll make it possible for you to reconcile your heart with someone else. I want you to live the life I created for you. And you can't do it when your tongue is setting the world on fire. Now, let me say this. If as you pray today, you hear a voice saying you're worthless, 
you'll never measure up. That is not the voice of God. Because the scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none. That is the voice of the enemy. You have given through your actions a place, a space, or a territory for the enemy of God to get in there and put a root of bitterness. Remember, we talk about this all the time. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from your heart. So if you're being condemned today, that is not the voice of God. We jump to the other side. If, if when you pray today, all you hear is, you're such a good boy or girl, you'll never do anything wrong. You're perfect. That's not the voice of God either. Because your heavenly father, like you're, if you're a parent, you know, you know the mess-ups of your children. And you love them anyway. Your heavenly father says, I love you just the way you are, but I love you way too much to leave you as you are. So when you confess today, he says, I'm going to begin the process of cleaning out. He says in scripture that he'll give you a new heart because your heart of stone is the one that infects the world with fire and sets your life on a course to hell. Some of you need to exchange your hearts today. Or actually, you can't do it. You ask God and he says, I will give you a new heart. I will be your God and you will be my people. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be a church that gives life-giving words. We don't want to be condemners. We want to be reconcilers. When someone bumps into us, we want what comes out to be grace, not gross. And we can't do that unless you set a guard over our hearts, you set a guard over our lips. You give us a new heart and you give us the will to, to be life-giving people. And if God, if, if you do that, people will be knocking down the doors to get into a church like that. Accomplish something in this church that we can't do in ourselves. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.